the Rainmaker Evolution to increase freedom, create momentum, and embrace simplicity in your financial services practice. You're listening to the Rainmaker Evolution podcast with Joel Johnson, certified financial planner, co-founder of Johnson Brunetti, author of The Money Map, and leader of the Rainmaker Evolution Mastermind Group. And now, here's Joel. Hello, this is Joel Johnson with a Rainmaker Evolution podcast. We've taken a lot of time off from the podcast here. I don't think I've done a podcast in a few months, and I am uh, reinvigorated and excited to start the podcast again after our last group there in Dallas. So we're going to be coming at you uh, more frequently, much more frequently. My goal is once uh, – my goal is actually at least two times a month. I've got a whole lot of content that I put together on the way back from Dallas, so I'm excited about that. Speaking of being excited – uh, here we are, and we're doing a guest podcast today, and in a minute, I'm going to introduce our very special guest, but before I do that, um, I want to do my little disclaimer that you are responsible for your own compliance. Uh, do not go out there and blame myself or my guest or Advisors Excel or anybody else if you do something that is not according to your regulation and your compliance rules. I have my own compliance department. And um, and they are comfortable with what I say, but that doesn't mean it's okay for you. So please be responsible with your own compliance. That said, I want to introduce a very special guest of mine, Ernie Burns, who's been part of the Rainmaker Revolution Group from the beginning, hails from Louisiana. Ernie, how are you today? Great, great. And what we're going to do here, Ernie, is we're just going to kind of walk through who you are, and uh, you're incredibly successful, great production, a great marketer, and I want to kind of glean some of the things that you're doing, and, and you know, more importantly, maybe, is your attitude towards marketing, and uh, lift that out of this podcast so other people can go ahead and use it. So let's start by, um, I want to ask you, who is Ernie Burns? Who are you? <laughs> okay, that's an interesting question. Um, I got into business now 25 years ago opened up my company 24 years ago, and uh, back then, as many of you out there, it was all about uh, seminars, and then from there, we started growing uh, extensively through the years in itself, and we've done some things differently that most people don't do, and so from the um, the insurance market to the uh, co-managed market with, with insurance and investments now, it's, it's been a very interesting um, climb. And married twice. One, we had a five-year-old wife passed on. Uh, then got remarried three years ago. Waited a long time. Now I have a little uh, a nine-year-old that I've, I've, I've uh, kind of like adopted in that sense from from my wife. Uh, way back when, tried to go to the Olympics and Taekwondo. Did well for a while. And then the accident happened. If those of you that know me, uh, lost my hand and. Uh, uh, ever since then, uh, grown the business and uh, really developed this market before many of you were even in the market. And uh, it has served my uh, family and my uh, area and my uh, friends well. Excellent. And so you see you started in the business 25 years ago, but you've had your own company. You actually went independent 24 years ago. So after one year in the business, you went independent? Yes. Wow. And and back then, so let's see, this would be, what, uh, 1993? What what were you selling and to who? Back then, it was, uh, we did a lot of estate planning uh, along with the annuity business. And we um, 
we did both. I opened up as an estate planning firm to do to do both, and it was same senior market, and uh, we were one of the um, very first to actually start doing lunch and dinners. And back then, and many of you might know this, but back then we could do one mail out of say eight thousand and fill up five seminars with a waiting list. It was just very new back then. So similar, some of the same exact clientele base in that sense, but it was just very new. So you were helping people set up trusts and things like that and then reorganizing their assets once the estate planning was done into you know, annuities when appropriate and so on. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes, exactly. Okay. Excellent. Okay. So then when did you add, Ernie, when did you add the securities business to your practice? Because I know, I, I believe, if I'm right, I, I think you're doing some securities. Is that correct? Yes. Um, two and a half years ago, uh, okay. opened up oh, uh, wow. Burns Wealth Management side of the business. And uh, yeah, two and a half years ago now. So I wish I would have done it 10 years ago, but I uh, <laughs> procrastinated because the that side of the business was so profitable on the annuity side. You just you kind of brush it off, brush it off. And then uh, eventually we were pushed to, in a sense, and I've seen the foreshadows that with your help what was going to happen. So I was like, okay, well, let's just do it right away. Great. So what did your house look like today? How many people are selling and how many staff do you have and how many locations and things like that? Just kind of a real high-level uh, look. Okay. Uh, seven staff, uh, four advisors, one part-time advisor. Um, we service, heck, all of Louisiana, south of Mississippi, um, with the marketing that we do, services that area. We, we used to you, we used to basically run three or four states, but we've kind of seized down with the marketing that we're doing now that's new a couple years ago that we won't have to travel as much. Uh, we could easily handle... $100 million a year coming in, we're just not there yet. Um, so I've set it up very similar to your situation with your help, Joel, over the years. Um, Rainmakers really helped me fit in pieces of the puzzle that we didn't have. And I think I say that every single time I come back from an event, but it really fits in the piece of the puzzle and the high quality that you have there. That's another thing. I'm not talking to anybody. I'm kind of running on here, but I'm not talking to anybody that does 3 or $4 or $5 million a year. Everybody that we're talking there does, you know, 15, 25, 30, 50 million a year in business, and that's why it's really helped me in my company. Yeah, we've worked hard to try to um, have you and others in a room with, with people that have similar challenges, problems, opportunities, and so on. And, you know, I'm in another coaching group, and, and they try to do that also, and it, it really helps. Um, it really helps you leave, hopefully, getting uh, just as many ideas from the participants as you do from me facilitating. So. Oh, that's that's nice to hear. So today you have seven staff members servicing four, serving four advisors. What did that look like five years ago? If we go back to 2012, what do those numbers look like? Uh, two financial advisors and four staff members. Okay. And were you were you you hinted a few minutes ago that you might have been uh, hitting a bigger geographical area a little while back? Is that correct? Yeah, we used to travel, you know, three or four or five hours to clients' houses. Sometimes, um, I started a TV show a little two and a half years ago, and now we're just serving servicing pretty much a a hundred mile radius, eighty mile radius, something like that. And only in that radius, we're pretty much seeing clients about 
85 percent of the time we still service our current client base but we're not having to travel nowhere near as much anymore so when you shrunk the territory because a lot of people think about you know they, they think well gee if i'm going to expand i better expand my territory i'm going to go a little farther away and so on you made the opposite decision which which actually we just recently made not to shrink but to stop trying to expand geographically and just go deeper what went be, what went on behind that decision, Ernie? Did, is it something that just happened because of the employees and the advisors that you have, or did you consciously make a decision to stop marketing farther away? It was consciously making it because the TV show was such a success that we didn't have to travel as far. Now, since then, though, the last four years, we've opened up three additional offices inside that radius. So we did stop – we we link, we lengthen well excuse me we we shrunk the the, uh, the distance but we have uh, implanted ourselves within that radius with several more offices so now we have four offices in within that radius of 100 miles. So you're you're based in Baton Rouge, correct? No, Hammond. It's kind of like right in between Hammond and Baton. Right in between Baton Rouge and New Orleans. Okay, and then you probably go up as far north as um, what Shreveport up in there. No, and then all the way no, across the state. We used to, no, we used to. Now we're just now it's pretty much from Lafayette, which is the southwest part, a little bit over to Gulfport, Biloxi, and into Mississippi. So you've really tightened the circle. That's that's interesting. I think that's a good lesson for a lot of us. That and and I actually got this from David Bach. I, I was doing a. Uh, thing where we help uh, veterans and so on and, and David was talking to me and I was talking about our expansion and you know where we are in Connecticut we were talking about well do we go to Boston do we go to, to White Plains New York area and so on and he says are you sure you need to do that can't you just go deeper and figure out a way to reach more people in your geographical area because once when your organization starts to grow when you get those people real far away there's some other management challenges that come up. So if there's any way you can go deeper where you are now and just figure out other marketing channels to reach those people, which it sounds like you've done, uh, it makes the management of your company a little bit easier. It makes it easier, and the, and, the, and the advisors are not worn out or complaining as much. Uh, also, we're trying to produce – we used to probably 80% of the clients were in their homes. We were seeing them in their homes. Now it's just the opposite. Now it's 80% in the offices. So we meet the clients now in the office. So it just makes a more professional atmosphere, makes it a little easier to us. And for that, it's just the makeup of the company has changed a lot. Now, you mentioned a little while back, kind of when you were introducing yourself, you said you you started doing things differently or you do things a little bit differently than other advisors. Tell us about that. What are the things that make you different um, and your company different, Ernie? Well, we never – well, a couple of things. First, estate planning, which a lot of firms don't do that. A lot of investment advisor firms don't do that. And we've always done that, which is another reason to open a door. It's another reason, it's another reason for a client to give you a call uh, because they have estate planning questions. <clears throat> so all the advisors are certified in different areas or multiple areas to help that. So that's what makes us a little bit different. Um, Two and a half years ago, we started a sales process, which we've never had before. It was basically if you were a good advisor and we needed somebody, we hired him in and gave him a simple process, but not a real sales process. Now we actually follow a sales process. So therefore, if an advisor can't make the next appointment because they're running behind with the client and and, uh, the other advisor knows if it's a first, second, or third exactly where the other advisor left off so they can walk in and pick up 
exactly where he left off. That has helped a lot, too. And at the same time, we developed uh, a retirement system similar to your money map, and that has uh, really been more of a, a catch to a lot of advisors because Edward Jones, Merrill Lynch, institutional firms, institutional firms don't have what we have. And we preach that left and right, especially on the TV shows and, and radio and commercials and things of that nature. We're unique in the business in itself because our skill sets are different than institutionals. Because the one thing I like about this with the Vise Excel is that we're actually sharing with one another. And I don't care if somebody's 10 miles down the road or 20 miles down the road. We're really not competing against them. We're really competing against the institutional firms. That's where our competitors at. That's where you know the 10 and 20, 50 million dollar accounts are at. You know, and that's the ones that we're going to shoot at. So I love that we share. For example, in this podcast. Yeah, no, there's a lot, there's a lot of power in that, and I think you know I learned this from the life insurance industry. I remember Dan Sullivan telling me years ago what makes the life insurance industry unique, and I don't know if it's still this way, but back then. Um, was the sharing, the sharing of sales ideas in the life insurance industry, where I'm sure if you go to a, um, I don't know, a software convention or so on, I can't imagine the guy that works for Microsoft sharing ideas with the guy from Apple. I mean, they might, you know, have a drink or something, but they're not going to give their secrets. And we give our inner secrets to each other, which is which is pretty cool. So I heard you say three things. I heard you say that what makes you different is, number one, you lead with estate planning or you incorporate estate planning, but it's really an estate planning focus. I think that's great. There's some lessons there. We should probably um, we should probably look at that here in my firm. Uh, number two is that you developed a sales process, a structured sales process, so that uh, interchangeable. Uh, the second appointment's the same. The third appointment's the same across the advisory system. Um, that's got to be great when it comes to little last minute issues. Uh, something that comes up, uh, an advisor gets sick. Somebody reschedules an appointment, so I think that's awesome. And then, of course, the retirement system, your planning system, um, which are great lessons no matter how big or small I think somebody's business is to have something unique like estate planning. might be something else, but lead with something else uh, that's a little bit different than the rest of the marketing noise out there. Have a structured sales process that's all buttoned up and then having a retirement system. So um, that's great, great advice, Ernie. If you had to go back when you started in the business – 24, 25 years ago, uh, and give yourself advice looking back, the person you are now, if the person you are now gave yourself advice 25 years ago, what do you think that advice would be? Get securities licensed earlier. Because if I was managing what I've had come through these doors, it would be hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. Probably close, probably close to, probably close to a billion. Yeah, I could see that. Being in the business 25 years, that, that makes sense because I'm sure you've sold hundreds of millions of dollars of annuities, right? Yeah, Yes, sir. I mean, and that's the great thing about AE is that before when I would go to the life insurance convention thing at some resort in some country somewhere, I was always the top three always or the winner of the top advisors, and nobody would share anything. First time in history I come to AE, and I'm not the top advisor. I'm not even in the top ten. So – it's been really energizing to walk in there and be able to learn additional things when you were always a top guy before and now you're not. You're only in yeah. the top 20. So yeah. um, the number one thing would definitely be get registered sooner. Ernie, break down. We talk in the group about our before unit, which is all the marketing that creates the appointments, the during unit, which is once somebody raises their hand to have an appointment, that sales process. 
and the after unit servicing of the clients, um, uh, getting referrals because you're giving great service and so on. Let, let's just kind of break the business down into those three areas. So um, the before unit, you mentioned you're doing TV. What else are you doing to generate appointments? And do you think you're, are you doing anything that you think is unique that you can share with the group? Um, yeah, something unique, but it's, it's later in this conversation. Um, and I briefly mentioned it at events before, but uh, the first thing is the radio, which we stopped doing a radio show years ago because there is a competitor here that has the prime radio show, uh, the right time and things of that nature. And they've been in the business a while, too, so they captivate that area. So I was like, okay, fine, I'm just going to get a – because I think really, in my opinion, you know, it's not always the best for one institution that that a lot of these guys are not listening on the weekend, a lot of our customers. So – Instead of six financial firms listening on Saturdays, do something different. So we got a celebrity, a local celebrity that was been on, has been on the news for years, and he retired and started doing a radio show. We started doing advertising with him, and so many people liked him. We got just as many leads from him, and I never had to prepare for a radio show. So he started doing commercials for us, and we would do commercials in that sense on the radio. So it was using time wisely, and it was actually a little bit cheaper. Then uh, we started the TV shows, and that has been key. And learned a lot from Reese and Apps and Dickens to prepare that uh, several years back. Uh, the touches that, for example, like Stephanie was talking about last week in Dallas, we do a lot of those touches, not all of them, and uh, that's that's helped. And and then also we booked the appointments before the seminar. That has really been nice too. Um, the pre-booking of appointments uh, has really, we started that in 2001. It basically doesn't put pressure on the clients in a sense. Hey, keep the time. When you get home, look at your calendar. If it doesn't work for you, give us a call back and we reset it for a different time. It's more convenient with you. Just to clarify for the people that might not have been in that meeting, Ernie, when you when you explain that process, let, let me see if I remember it. So when people come to the seminar, you actually have a card filled out with their appointment time on it. And then at the end of the seminar, is it at the end or before yeah, you even end. start talking, you give those people the appointment card? No, it's at the end. It's at, at the, the end. end, you hand them the appointment card and you say, if you can't keep the time, give us a call. Otherwise, we look forward to seeing you. No, it's, it's we hand them a booklet when they come in and okay. my card's in, inside the booklet. The date and time is on the back of the card, which they never okay. even take out. Of the, they never take out the card because it's, it's listed in that packet. So... They fill out the little evaluation form before the uh, event or during it, and at the very end of the workshop, I say at that time, okay, turn over the back of your business card. There's a date and time that me or one of my team advisors will sit down with you to go over our suggestions, and we'll go through there. If that time is not good with you because you're going out of town, you're uh, working, or you already have uh, a doctor's appointment for that, for that time slot, raise your hand before or after the meal, and the girls can change that date and time for you. And as the girls go around you automatically have 50% to keep it, boom. And then you have about uh, 25% that will change it uh, to a more appropriate time for them because they have the calendars. Or they're going to keep it till they get home. So we always have about 75% of the people keeping uh, from that um, method that we've used for years. And then you have another 25% that are, that are PLs. They just say that I'm not interested at this time. 
yeah, the plate liquors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so they you tell they, you know you know before you leave the event, you take them off the calendar. You don't have all these people clogging yeah. up your calendar, right? You get rid of the right people that say exactly. that. Okay, great, excellent. Now, but that's really unique. That's uh, I remember the first time I heard that, and I actually told that to our appointment setters. They're scared to death to try it, but I think. I think uh, I might try it without them knowing one time and just see what happens. Try one uh, time. Just try yeah. one time yeah. and see what the keep ratio is. Because the person that is there at the event, if the appointments are already set, and what we do is we triple book the appointments at the same time. Because mm-hmm. you know people are going to move around and you have multiple advisors. Yeah. It just works out. That's great. That's great. So so you're before unit, you're doing primarily TV seminars to drive people to you and the radio commercials, correct? Yeah, that's the, well, that's the primary ones. Um, okay. We've done other things in the past, but that's the three primary. Okay. And then your during unit, your sales process, you already mentioned you have a very buttoned-up, systematized sales process. Is there anything you think you're doing in there that's worthy of, of discussion that's really unique or somebody without, without redesigning their entire sales process could just sort of lift out of this podcast and use right away? Any just little tricks or steps or anything? Well, after the last event, I learned something. We were – it seems like 80% of the room, including y'all's company, gets really simplified uh, in that second interview, and we were getting too bogged down with it. So we actually changed a little bit. We just basically uh, tinkered with our sales process. The first interview doesn't change, but what we're going to focus on more in the first interview, uh, probably what everybody else does too, you you go through the financial uh, details of the client and understand what their goals are. But we weren't getting a risk score. And I want somebody now to tell me exactly how much risk they think they have. And just yesterday was one of my first opportunities to do that with the client. And they were 100% equities, and they think their risk is 20%. And I was like, wow. So I cannot wait to show them <laughs> the risk score next time from the risk analyzer when I sit down with them, showing them probably more than a line with the S&P than they know. And their expected return was only inflation plus maybe, two, maybe 2%. So I was like, well, they're going to be a well-awakening because I know we're going to be uh, easily give them you know, uh, our – average maybe six or seven percent returns and their risk score is going to be probably down to in the 30s with us whereas they're probably at least in the 70s or 80s right now so i think simplifying it uh and don't give them too much to think over in that second interview the primary purpose is to get a client uh so now that you're, you're, you know, you're co-licensed in that area, most of you guys now, is just getting that money over and do the annuity later. And that's what, we're gonna, that's, what we've been, that's what we've been doing lately, and it's helped out, especially when there's not a sense of urgency out there because the market's doing so well. Just getting a client, and then um, once that client settles in, then you have a fourth appointment and actually or a third appointment and then do the annuity later. Great advice. Great advice, Ernie. How about your after unit? After someone becomes a client, what does the relationship look like? How often do you meet? What kind of touches do you have? Does the advisor that brought in the business meet with them, or does that get handed off, that, uh, that review-style uh, appointment? What happens there? That's, okay, there I think we're a little bit unique because what we built is a, a, a one-year, your first-year outlook. And um, the first 30 days, you're, once you're a client, we're transferring assets. We're starting to build the retirement system. Uh, we're looking at different phases of your retirement. Uh, the second phase is that, which is from 30 to 90 days. The second phase, 
we're looking at your insurance. We're looking at maybe doing a Social Security uh, analyzer on what you're doing and when you should take it. We might be looking at your other assets that you might have that we don't have or your will, your trust, your life insurance, just different areas and very important, your taxes. We're looking at what income taxes you're paying now, what, what capital losses you might have had in the past to write off some capital gains taxes. If you've had issues with that, maybe take some. Be, we might be able to take some profit from a bunch of mutual funds that you have now to offset to go in more to our model and our suggestions. Um, so the first 90 days is it's probably a, oh man, probably six or seven touches during that time period. If well, probably a lot more than that. But point of take is actually seeing the client maybe three or four times and then uh, phone calls and emails and things of that nature, probably another 10 touches in that first 90 days. After that, um, we're calling the clients every 30 to 45 days. It could be a two-minute phone call or a 20-minute phone call, but I have somebody for that, and now I'm not doing all that. That's what I have additional advisors for, so everybody has their roles. And then we have kind of like a junior advisor here that's going to pick up the uh, estate planning and the uh, life insurance. So once somebody commits to being a client, it sounds like there's probably in the first year possibly another four to five meetings that go on in addition to just the phone calls and so on to make sure that they've got all their planning taken care of. If they don't have any estate planning done, that's meeting if they're interested. If they have a lot of tax issues, that's an additional meeting. Um, There's something else in there I'm not thinking of, but there's usually probably two or three meetings and then uh, everything else is phone calls. And when you do the so, estate planning, Ernie, do you have attorneys in-house that you're using that are your employees, or are you? do you have relationships outside the firm? We have a relationship outside the firm that we worked with now for about eight years. We had somebody else that we used for about 20 years, but they kind of faded out. Um, we have multiple attorneys uh, in different states, but now we concentrate mainly in Louisiana and Mississippi. And uh, But I think... I'm building a new office. I think I'm going to be hiring uh, an attorney in-house within the next two years. But we've got a great relationship with uh, different attorneys, and it's it's just all males in it. Super simplified all the way around. So it sounds like one of the things that's definitely unique about your firm is that you've been in the estate planning world and, and doing estate planning for 25 years. You had to have worked with many attorneys. For those of us looking to build deeper relationships with a few select attorneys in our area, what would we look for? What type of attorney? How big of a firm? What are the kind of the top few important things that we want to look for in building a relationship with an attorney? Primary thing is find an elder, E-L-D-E-R, elder law attorney. Just like a doctor, if you have a heart problem, you're not going to see a general physician. You're going to see a cardiologist. Same thing as attorneys when they come out of college. Make sure you see somebody specializing in, in estate and probate planning in itself. Find an elder law attorney. They're not getting a ton of business from outside sources. They have to hustle. So, therefore, you walk in there you um, or offering them additional clients, they're going to bust their tails for you. Um, that's the primary thing right there. And if they're local, even better. Excellent. Then blow them up. And then blow them up on your radio or your TV that you have that connection inside your firm, that, that relationship inside your firm, so they don't have to go outside. It's all through your firm. 
And then how did they get paid? Are you paying them? Is your firm paying them or does the client pay them? And is there any financial arrangement between you and the attorney that you can talk about? No, I can't talk about it. Make sure they're not <laughs> – that it's paid completely separate. Uh, what they pay us is completely separate than what they pay the attorney. That's a, a separate check made out directly to the attorney. Okay. The attorney has an engagement letter. We have a contract, which is an engagement letter, so it's completely separate. So nice and clean, no misunderstandings, so on and so forth. Correct. Great. But here's the advantage is over the years, as they have, as they have issues – or questions, or people, not really a lot of issues. As they have questions, they're always calling you. You're the, you're the firm, they're calling, they're not calling the attorney. Yeah. Then when they pass, their kids have been instructed by their parents, which have been instructed by you, to call you. So I would say probably 80% of the business from that stays in-house. So it goes from generation to generation. That's great. That's great, because that's a big problem some of us are going to have that we haven't been planning for, is losing those assets when the... Uh... Mm-hmm. When the generation skips, I remember was when I was with Northwestern Mutual, and they said hundred uh, percent or a huge percentage of life insurance proceeds. The number one place they went was Merrill Lynch when somebody would die, because they hadn't built a relationship with the next generation. So, you know, we don't want to build up all these assets and then have them go out the door to somebody else. So that's great, uh, good advice. This is hard. Uh, this is hard numbers, Joe. We keep ninety-two percent of the clients when the one spouse passes on. We keep 92% of the clients, once, whereas the institutionals lose 91% when wow. one spouse passes on. So we build that relationship with both spouses, and that has been huge for us. And we keep about 50% of the children um, when they come in because both their parents pass on. Fantastic. Do, are, do you, are you doing any work where you get relationships with divorce attorneys? Is there anything uh, like that where you're specializing in that? Yeah, a couple of years ago, we got a relationship with an attorney that started doing quadros before most of the nation even messed with them. But they were in-service quadros, or it's not probably not the right term, what was it? Uh, a living quadro, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, a uh, in-marriage service quadro. In other words, you could still be married and have a quadro. So he built out something a little bit unique. And wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, back up. Is Really? You can do a quadro yeah. while you're still married? While you're still married, you can still do a quadro because the factors is that if your spouse has an IRA at, or for, you know, a civil retirement account, okay, that younger spouse can actually become part of that 401k and move part of that money over. Now, we haven't done much of it. I even put him on a TV show. It's on my website. I think I still have it on my website. <clears throat> but the thing is, is that uh, we didn't get a ton of business off of it at all, and I kind of okay. promoted it pretty decently. Um, and we've gotten a few clients off of it from divorces. Uh, uh, they divorced their Chevron or their Exxon spouse, and we got a couple hundred thousand here and there. Uh, but it hasn't been big for us at all, even though when I promoted it multiple times. But you can do it in marriage or relationship quadro. It's kind of crazy, but it works. Interesting. Um, so the key there is, though, that you're you're – your core relationship is this estate planning attorney, this estate yes. planning relationship leading with the estate planning, which I think there's there's great lessons in there. Um, anything else you want to say about that before we move on? I got a couple more questions here. No, no, that's it. Just make sure you get an elder law attorney. That's an important thing. Ernie, uh, you mentioned at the beginning of the program you've had some some tough things you've gone through, some adversity in your life. How, how has that helped you? Um, has it helped you? And if so, how in building the life you have today? 
Well, that's really when the company took off like twice. When um, the accident happened, I lost my hand, an 18-wheeler hit me on the interstate coming home from a client's house actually one night. Three days later, I was going to Colorado Springs for the uh, uh, Olympic trials, my third one, and that eliminated. When I lost my hand, that eliminated. So the I was right-handed, right-eye dominant. So I was like, ooh, heck, I need to... Uh, I need to learn right left-handed. So the first thing I did when I got home, I asked my wife, give me a pad and pen. I got to start learning how to write left-handed. And the next week, and this was in 98, 90, yeah, 98, the next week, a big old bandage around my arm and everything, I went out and moved like $1.1 million. Back then, that was a lot of money back then. In a week, I said, okay, I can make a living. Thank God. I was, that's all I was worried about. I said, forget the gold medal, I can actually still make a living. It just, reality came and struck quick. So I guess that that really, my personality, I didn't take that doom and gloom thing. I just said, this life moves on. And then when Ann passed two years later from a migraine medication while she was in New York, when my wife died, that hit me. But the thing that kept me solid there is that, hey, my children are still, my, my son's still here, I got to take care of him. And that pushed me through that. Uh, you just deal with life. Life's not always fair, and we all know that. We've all been through things in our lives, and uh, uh, and I've had some fair share. But it, I guess it got me more disciplined, more focused, and the priorities are more in line with what I wanted to accomplish in life for the personal and family and everything else, I guess. Wow. Well, thanks thanks for sharing that, Ernie. I appreciate that. That's very um, – it's not only inspirational, but it's humbling. So I uh, appreciate that. Thank you. Let's let's talk about that question that I think I introduced to the group a few years back when we all started in Rainmaker, which was this Dan Sullivan question. If we were sitting here three years from today, so it's June 29th of 2020, wow, June 29th of 2020, and we're looking back over the last three years that have already happened, what needs to have happened for you to be happy and feel good about your progress? Uh, I, um, I need to do, I would really be happy if I was doing 50% more business. If I was doing 50% more business, I would be comfortable and comfortable in the sense of satisfied with what's happened in the last three years. I'm expecting to do it. I'm prepped for it. The company is built for it. And, and that's real on the business side. That's, that's it. I mean, I I expect to do 50% more business in the next three years. If I'm not, I'm not going to be happy about it. Good. Good. That's awesome. Uh, Ernie, anything uh, else that uh, you want to add before we sign off? This has been fantastic. You've you've shared some great tips and some insight and some some personal things, and uh, I'm inspired. But is there anything else you want to add for everyone listening? The advisors out there, the only thing I would definitely uh, suggest is that you definitely look at TV, and it's, it's, it's the next thing. You know, radio was a big while back, and... And it's still it's still really good for a lot of advisors out there because they got in early and they've established themselves. But if you weren't able to, like I didn't get there in time with our radio shows, and other advisors had the spots there that that was key. Jump on TV, hardly anyone's doing it now. To learn from that, call me and the other guys I talked about earlier, um, or AE, and they can help you to make sure you save some money to do it the right way. But I really think that's the next phase to build that credibility, uh, that's, that would be it. Because 
when they walk into the workshop, they've already watched you for a month. When they, um, or they call you, sit down with you, you're going to have people that's extremely comfortable because they've watched you for maybe a year or three months, and now it's time for them to move that retirement account. So I really think that's the next phase for our leads, whereas the seminars have dwindled or um, have had issues, uh, this is just another lead source that no one's doing. So you're going to get a higher credibility from TV also, higher credibility clients. You're going to have more high net worth clients from that. Excellent. Ernie, I can't thank you enough for, um, for helping me out and the rest of the group out today. I really appreciate it. It's been great. And um, with that, we will sign off on another episode of Rainmaker Evolution. Thanks, folks. Talk to you next time.